Bless you, our Father. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the gathering. We thank you for the ecclesia. We thank you for the bride of Christ. We thank you for the grace of God. We, we adore you for not excluding us from what you were doing, not banishing us from your eternal presence, uh, but drawing us near. Somebody in here is not on the inside. Someone here is not in Christ, so they're separated from you, and therefore, they may not even know it. We pray that today, or throughout the week, or through this series, where we focus on life in light of the good news, the gospel, they would be snatched up, made your child, and then planted and rooted in him. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. This morning I have the privilege of starting our series on Galatians. And I'm going to be honest with you all, I'm looking forward to this because I have a feeling that, um, that I get to preach hard today um, because this is such a booming topic, power pack, just a banging reality. And I'm just going to let you know that Pastor Ian and myself were thinking, what could we do? We, we wanted to make sure that because we're, we seem to be loading Epiphany Fellowship with so much, you know, back down in the south, one of the things they're good for is saying, I want my baby to eat. You're going to eat. And they just pile more than you can, you know, put on your, eat on your plate. And they're like, I, yo, you gonna, when you come here, you're going to eat. You know what I'm saying? You eat like a bird. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yo, this is just too much. I mean, my goodness. Even though I kind of do eat like a bird, but still, you know. And so the idea here is we know that when you come here, we're almost like those southern grandmothers that are saying, you're going to eat. Uh, and, uh, it may be too much sometimes. So, um, but one of the things you won't do is go here and talk about something you're hungry, like kids do after they've been at a barbecue where there was too much food, but they were playing and so they didn't eat. And then they get home and tell them, I'm hungry. Like, psh, hungry? All that food we just left. So I don't go home and tell them, I ain't being fed. Um, there's a, all this food that's here. Um, so look, this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna dive into this. It's good. It's only 12.20. We'll be out of here before 3. Nah, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Let's get it. Let's get it. Um, we're in the book of Galatians, and I want to start it off like this. If you're like me, that sounded like an acapella, didn't it? If you're like me, you probably are sitting there. I'm just kidding. It wasn't an act, but I need to start one like that. If you're like me, you've probably won. Perhaps you've won a all-expense uh, cruise vacation to the Caribbean a couple times. You probably won a trip to Vegas or Atlantic City. If you're like me, you've won a vehicle, you've won a couple laptops, you've won a couple of cash prizes, totaling an amount of several thousand dollars. If you're like me, you've won. And you've never experienced the lick of it. Because deep in your mind, you knew there's a catch to this. Nobody is just out there loving me so much. They want to pay for me to go on a cruise. No one's just out there finding my email, my personal email account, and sending me a free laptop. Nobody is like, oh, man, I want you to go to Vegas on us. In other words, you know that we live in a world where you don't get something for nothing. Nothing is free. You couldn't be more right. I've never clicked the click here now and claim your prize. I never sign the check and fill it out. I, I never do any of that because I know it's a trick. But some of us apply that same principle to the Most High God. There's infinite treasure, infinite gifts, booming hookups that God wants to give freely, and many of us never experience it. Some of us even have it in our hands and will say, ah, come on, can't really be. You know, the book of Galatians is a book where Paul said 
God's got something that's totally free. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to sit through some presentation. You don't have to. I mean, none of this is free. And yet there's always going to be somebody who will second guess or wonder or fight against the freeness of the things that God has provided. In our series, we're going to be looking at a book that specializes in freedom that's found in something you've heard of before, gospel. Gospel, the euangelion in Greek, this good news that's meant to be proclaimed and that's meant to lure you in, rock you for free, and then help you to continue to live that way. But if you're like the Galatians, like most of us are, we fight against this. Uh, And so one of the things that we get a chance to do today is look at the one and only gospel. I get to open up the series. And so we're just going to look at the first uh, 10 verses today. But the beautiful thing about this word called gospel, euangelion, is that you have to be able to understand that today we're losing uh, the, the picture of what the gospel is. Today you say gospel, people think you're talking about music. Today, if you say gospel, people uh, think you're talking about something other than this specific message that's loaded with treasure that you don't have to work for. But we, we're going to deal with it today. But I'm going to start by giving you an Old Testament favorite of mine, which is one of the most vivid pictures of what I mean and what Galatians will mean and what Paul will mean when he uses the word gospel. Now, I've taken the liberty of making sure that this scripture will be on our Well, I didn't do it. Someone else took the liberty, Uh, but um, took the liberty of making sure that's a lot of text. So you can either turn in second Kings six and follow me. I'm going to be going real fast. uh, Or you if you if you don't know where that's at, you can look up here. I'm going to run through a story that is going to set the stage for you appreciating gospel as the way it's meant to be appreciated so that as we spend however many months that we're in in Galatians, you'll be able to say, now I know what he's talking about. Galatians, excuse me, excuse me, Second Kings 6. We're going to start at verse 24. A lot of reading. So, again, I'm going to be real fast because this is not our text. This is the introductory picture to help you understand gospel. Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria uh, uh, as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. And the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung, which is poop, uh, was selling for five shekels of silver. Now, was the king of... That's right. That's, look at that. Somebody's laying siege on a city. So when somebody's laying siege, you don't go out the city. So you can't re up on groceries. You can't do whatever's here is what we gonna eat. Things are so bad right now. They're eating poop. You know the stuff you ah oh, messed up on my car. Like they're licking it, selling it for five shekels of silver. Check this out. Now, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, help my Lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord will not help you, how am I going to help you? How shall I help you from the threshing floor or from the wine presses? And the king asked her, well, what is your trouble? She answered, this woman said to me, give give your son that we may eat him today. And we will eat my son tomorrow. So not only are we eating bird poop, now we're eating our kids. Dig the the picture of the gospel. So we boiled him and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, all right, I'm hungry. Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes, which is a sign of utter disgust and grief. Now he was passing by on the wall and the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. And he said, may God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. So now he's mad at the prophet because, you know, that he's a wicked king. 
But he's mad that the prophet seems to have the key to their being rain. But because the prophet has the key to their being a famine and he's mad now, dang, this dude is messing up our city. We eating kids and poop. Verse 32, Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence, but before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down and said, This trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? But Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a say of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two says of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat it. Now, stay with me here. He's saying, I know 80 shekels of silver for a little something, something, right? Five shekels of silver just for the poop, plus you're eating kids. Elijah says, ah, this is what the Lord says. The Lord says some, some, some flour and some, some, some barley will be available tomorrow for just a shekel. Now, that's good news, right? If you are so hungry that you're eating kids, news about cheap food is good news. Now, keep it going. One dude doubts this good news, right? All right. Verse 3. Now, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we should die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of, of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt that come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank and carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of gospel. If we are silent and wait until morning, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there. Nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. Skip down. Says here, verse 14. The king was skeptical, but then they took two horsemen and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians. Go and see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan and behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a say of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two says of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, and the people trampled him in the gate so that he died as the man of God had said when the king came down. For when the man of God had said to the king, 
Two uh, saves of barley shall be sold for a shekel and a say of uh, fine flour for a shekel. About this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria, the captain had answered the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. The reason why I start with this story is because... Everybody was saying ill, meaning you grasp the gravity of the bad news. You grasp the, gra- you grasp the gravity of uh, the situation. You also can appreciate what it means for good news, but not just good news, good news to be proclaimed. You also have to know something about lepers. Lepers were outcasts and couldn't be there. So the hero of the story is the lepers who themselves knew. We're so doomed, caught between this rock and a hard place, that if we stay here, we're going to die. All we can do since we're going to die is to throw ourselves at the mercy of somebody who could just opt to not kill us. So either way, we're going to die unless somebody has mercy on us. When they got there, a provision of the Lord, of course, not nothing that they did. They didn't come and chase the Syrians off. They get no credit for their find. A provision of food, a.k.a. salvation, they no longer had to die, had been made. They come to it. They get it. They announce it. Other people come. And living in light of this good news says, now you no longer have to eat poop. Now, imagine if they would have went back, told them we've got food. They said, you're right, but then started still going back to poop. That would be them failing to live in light of the new good news and in light of the new provision. So as they go back and they say, all right, whose baby's next? Wait, the say of barley is different. The say of flour is different. I know, but whose kid is next? That would be them failing to live in light of this good news. Well, We look in Galatians and we come to Paul looking at his people like, why are you not living in light of this good news? Meet me in Galatians. Our whole thing is living in light of the gospel. So today we're going to talk about the one and only gospel, the one and only gospel. First of all, we're going to talk and we want you all to grasp this. We can't take for granted. It's so many new faces. We don't know where you are. All we know is that bad theology is the norm today. All we know is that Christian theology is a thing of the past. Now, we do have a lot of Bible college cats or people who are real close to people who went to Bible college. So, you know, uh, or you've been exposed to the truth. But look at the richness of how. Much of a threat our basics are, and we're going to today look at something called the one and only gospel. First of all, I want you to take note of the fact that the gospel is transforming. The gospel is transforming. And the reason why I'm I'm going to use my insights uh, just to be able to both teach through the particulars of this text and at the same time encourage our hearts. The gospel is transforming. The first letter, the first word that we see in the book of Galatians is Paul. 13 times this is the way Paul has started all his letters Paul Paul just jumps right in Paul now normally you would just say that's customary you don't try to make a point out of that in homiletics they'll teach you don't try to make a point and preach a point if that wasn't the point well today I'm just going to draw the insight that the gospel is transforming by looking first at just the name Paul first of all you got to understand something about Paul Paul, his real name and or his Jewish name was Saul. Saul was his Jewish name, a name he would have had much pride in, a name that the first time we see it, Paul is a one kind of man. And after, excuse me, Saul is one kind of man. Afterwards, he's another kind of man. Me and uh, Pastor Even bugging off of the transformation of the gospel. Since people have been getting rocked with the gospel, a felon turned himself in and actually experienced a salvation uh, that he's walking in because he didn't know whether or not he was going to be locked down forever or if God would come up with a way to get him off the hook and give him just a slap on the wrist. Uh, we've seen material girls turn into 3130s all because of the gospel. We've seen people who go to sleep in church now set their clock early and come to church on a regular basis because of the gospel. The gospel transforms. Good news transforms. Now back to Paul. Paul pre-gospel is breathing out murderous threats. Post-gospel he's preaching the words of life. 
pre-gospel, Paul wears his Jewish heritage like a badge of honor. And post-gospel, he says, I count that as dung, the kind like they ate in 2 Kings 6. Pre-gospel, he hates the church. He can't stand the church. He's persecuting the church. Pre-gospel, he says, I carry the weight of the church. I sit at home and I'm depressed because I'm concerned about the affairs of the church. Pre-gospel, Paul is aggressively attacking and persecuting the church. Post-gospel, Paul is aggressively planting churches. The gospel transforms. And we, we, we glory in the fact that Paul has chosen to be known all through scripture by a Greek name. Now, this Greek name, because some people say, nah, he was Saul. That's the, that's the bad one. He flipped the Paul. Or Saul means great one and Paul means little one. That's true. But that's not why Paul switches to Paul. Paul switches to Paul from Saul simply because his mission in life was to reach Gentiles. So what he does is he uses a name that doesn't say anything about him in Gentile culture. It's just a common name, Paul, right? Now, as a Roman citizen, he would have three names. So why of all names would he choose to be named by his Greek name? Simply because for Paul, once the gospel came into his life, it wasn't about which name he liked better. It wasn't about which name he preferred. It was about which name kept him mindful of his call and his mission. The gospel transforms. It makes you start thinking about stuff differently. You don't think about stuff just based on what I like and what I dislike. You think about it based on uh, what your mission is. The pre-conversion you and the post-conversion you should look a a little different. Uh, The pre-calling you and the post-calling you should look a little different. Uh, decisions you made when you just were just glad to be a human ought to be different uh, once you're now glad to be saved and not just glad to be a human. Paul, the gospel transforms. I used to want to be a lawyer and an actor. The Lord began to get a hold of me and now I dramatically make cases for Christ. (laughs) The gospel transforms. Not only that, the gospel is authoritative. The gospel is authoritative. The next word he says is Paul, an apostle. Once again, this is common. He normally starts most of his epistles like that, so I'm not overdoing it by drawing attention to apostle. It's here that he elaborates on his apostleship in a way that he doesn't do anywhere else. Paul, an apostle. Not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. One of the things that you see here is in light of the book, Paul is under attack because he's about to tell people, why are you not living in light of the gospel? Not just any gospel, the gospel I gave to you. Well, somebody could say, well, who makes you the boss? Why is your gospel the special gospel? Paul says, okay, normally I just write this just to let you know I'm an apostle. But now I'm going to elaborate so that I can draw an attention to the fact that I speak authoritatively. And not only do I speak authoritatively, the thing that I speak is authoritative. It's called the gospel. First of all, the apostle. We live in a day where uh, a lot of people claim to be po- apostles and, you know, we wondering, man, well, apostle so-and-so said and apostle so-and-so said. And the question is, biblically, uh, what makes them different from, quote unquote, the apostles here at Epiphany? We have something where we say we are committed to the apostles teaching. We hold that in a way that's different than and my man said uh, the apostles teaching. You should, too. Well, there's two ways in which the Bible refers to apostles. And I just want to s- stop right there and just throw a little plug in for helping you to understand apostleship. Uh, The apostles were so close in such representatives for Jesus that if they said it, it's as though Jesus said it. Me and Truth were laughing because he told me about an encounter he had with a dude where a dude didn't like Paul's perspective. You know, Paul can make you upset. Book of Galatians is him writing in light of him making people upset. And so uh, Paul, uh, he said he didn't like Paul's perspective. Something truth was saying. I don't know if it was about the low road. I don't know if it was about humility, if it was about suffering. But uh, Paul's perspective frustrated. He said, who said that, Paul? He said, oh, well, Jesus took care of all of that. Now, not only did truth have to say, wait a minute. Well, you know, Paul came after Jesus like 
if anything, Paul would have been, quote unquote, like correcting Jesus, but like in terms of your chronology, but you don't have to worry about that. If Paul said it in the spirit of God logs it, Paul is basically saying what Jesus said. That's just how important it is to understand that these apostles were not just men who just like the prestigious name and tack it on to their church so that people will like them and revere them a little more than they would just pastor. You know, a lot of apostles today, well, I was a pastor and then I moved up to a bishop and now I'm an apostle. It's like they're just going up the ladder. That's not what this was. There's the, the, in the Bible real quickly, I just want to draw attention to two passages. You can write them down. You don't really have to uh, um, flip to them. But in Second Corinthians eight, um, 16 to 24, uh, two men are referred to as apostles of the church in Macedonia. So the idea here is they were the apostles of the church. Uh, Epaphroditus um, was the Philippian church's apostle, uh, Philippians 2.25, the same word. He's an apostle of the Philippian church. So there, there's, a, there's a general sense that the word apostle just means sent one, somebody we send. And generically speaking, they would send. Paul said, yo, I'm going to send him to you to take up a collection. They would call apostles. But there's a, the bulk of the way the apostles uh, show up in the Bible is a special class of Christians that we believe that the Bible really supports are no more. And they had a unique authority. Uh, first of all, uh, their sender was Christ. So in Second uh, Corinthians uh, 2, it says you are we are apostles of Christ, meaning Christ himself sent us um, um, these people actually saw the resurrected Christ. I like it in Acts. Acts was trying to find somebody to take Judas's place in the office of apostleship. They said, wait a minute. It has to be somebody who was around when Jesus was around and saw him resurrected. It was one of those criteria that set you apart so that it wasn't just a cat will send like a good, you know, you're an apostle. Yeah, we'll send you. You were a unique apostle because you saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians nine, Paul is pleading with the Corinthians to be able to receive him with the authority and as an apostle. And he says, wait, I'm free. Right. Like, I'm, he says, I've seen the Lord, haven't I? He said, wait, wait. I mean, like, I, like I've seen the Lord and like, at least I'm your apostle because I've been killing it among y'all. He says, if I'm not an apostle to anybody else, I'm at least an apostle to you, Corinthians. Not only that, they had unique power. A lot of people look at their power in the book of Acts and make that the rule for life. But here in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul delineates their power as one of the things that made them different than just the the average Holy Ghost filled Christian. Because he says here, for for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, 12 uh, verse 12. He says, even though I'm nothing, he says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. If everybody who's Christian and saved was just doing signs and mighty works, then he couldn't use this as a, uh, a true sign of apostleship. So I say all of that to say, who, who, so who were the apostles? First of all, the 12 you know about. The 12, uh, uh, Acts 1, 21 to 26, again, I told you, talks about Matthias being uh, the, 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 the replacement for Judas. I know this is a lot. Stay with me. Other people, James, the brother of Jesus. Sometimes you're in the Bible and you see James and you see him named among the apostles. and You think, oh, that's James, Peter, James and John. Well, that's not the same James. This is a James that didn't even believe in Jesus until after the resurrection. And so his brother. So James, who was converted afterwards, is called an apostle, but he's not one of the twelve. So we do have more than just the twelve, but we just don't have every Tom, Dick and Harry. Uh, Barnabas is named among the apostles. He's not one of the twelve. So uh, this is just building a case. Barnabas in First Corinthians nine six, Paul talks about. It. He said, "Hold on, wait. All the apostles got wives. Me and Barnabas could have wives too, can't we?" He says, "But you know, we forego our rights for the sake of the gospel." Uh, 
Andronicus and Junius. You, you probably never heard those names. I hadn't paid attention to those names. Romans chapter 16, that whole list of names. But they're called apostles. <laughs> uh, the, the, the kind of apostles. Uh, they were considered apostles in the context it's among us. And then Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 5, 11. Look at this. Just we're going to read this one. And that he appeared to Cephas, talking about the Lord Jesus after his resurrection, then to the twelve, then appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, that's the brother of Jesus, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called apostles because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. So here Paul seems to talk about a cluster of a a large number of people who Jesus Christ in resurrected form appeared to that he would have commissioned to go out on his behalf. He says, Jesus Christ appeared to all of them, and last of all, the rest of the apostles, then me. So one of the things that we hold to, uh, without complete dog, uh, dog, uh, dogmatism, that Paul seems to say, I was the last. Somebody could say, well, he was the last up to his time, but there was a new apostle. But one of the things you need to do is put the, all of that evidence together, the fact that they had to see the resurrected Christ. Can anybody today see the resurrected Christ? I know somebody's going to write a book. I saw the resurrected Christ after I had a divine revelation of hell. But I'm just saying, um, just be ginger with this. Uh, For those of us that hold a more conservative view, uh, these were a unique breed of apostles. So Paul starts his letter off basically about to argue the authoritativeness of his gospel. But first he has to address the fact that his own authority as one who can speak on the gospel is at stake. So Paul says, Paul. An apostle. And I'm not talking about the consent from men. I'm not talking about the consent through men. I'm talking about the kind that got it straight through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He also puts Jesus Christ. Now, we know we don't call Jesus Jesus until he was a man. He wasn't Jesus until he became a man. Yet the resurrected Jesus is now delineated from being just a man. He said, not through man. Well, didn't you say through Jesus? Wait. But I'm talking about, we're talking about the Jesus who's resurrected and on par with God the Father. So when I say it, like I'm telling you, the utmost authority is what I walk in when I start rebuking you about your clumsiness with the gospel. And if the man who gives you the gospel, he doesn't give you anything less authoritative, the gospel. The gospel is authoritative. What I mean by that, it means it's to be obeyed. It's to be submitted to. We already talked about it. The gospel is losing steam today because it is offensive. We're going to deal with that. But the gospel is to be obeyed. Romans 10, 16 says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. How do you obey a suggestion? You don't obey suggestions. You don't obey opinions. You obey authoritative words. The gospel is to be obeyed. Second Thessalonians 1.8, inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. The gospel is authoritative. It's to be obeyed. We live in a day people are going to say, that's what you think. Well, that's what you think. Well, that's what you think. We're in a church where you're going to either you go to churches or you may go back to churches and you may thoroughly enjoy people who are not giving you an authoritative gospel. That may be why you like the church, because they don't push anything on you. You don't beat people over the head. You don't shove it down my throat. A lot of people feel that way anytime it authoritatively comes to their sphere. But may you, the people of God, embrace the authoritativeness of the gospel. It transforms. Paul stopped using his Jewish name, stopped bragging about his Jewish rights because of the gospel. It's authoritative. It comes in your life and it tells you what to do. Remember the lepers, which is why I use that story. The lepers say, well, wait a minute. Let's go over there and ask them if they just have mercy. When you're when you run the gospel or when you run your spiritual life, you come up with that. Well, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to believe that such and such happened and that so and so happened. And all I got to do is so and so. That's not what we want to be in here. They said we're going to die. That's what that's that's all we can come up with. 
We're going to go over there and just say, anybody want to have mercy on us? The gospel is a message that you come and say, whoa, any mercy for me? Authoritative. The gospel is universal. The gospel is universal, which is good news. Uh, look, he says here, uh, who raised them from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. Paul always wrote in community. He says to the churches of Galatia, to the churches of Galatia, the gospel is universal. First of all, there's two ways to look at this. If you go to Bible college, they're going to introduce you to two theories about who Paul was talking to. A northern contingent, which was the country of Galatia, or a, uh, a Roman providential or uh, provincial uh, Galatia, meaning it's more than just Galatia. It's this big region. Like somebody say, yo, I live in Philadelphia. And then you find out they're in Ben Salem. You know what I'm saying? And you're like, oh, bet. Like, because you can say Philadelphia, meaning, you know, Philly, Philly. I mean, one, nine, one, two. You know what I'm saying? Or you could be out there in the one, nine, O's, right? And sometimes when you're abroad, you know, nobody knows where Levittown. Like, so if you're in Levittown, you're like, I'm, I'm from Levittown. Nobody knows where Levittown is. So you just say, I'm from Philly because you're from the Philadelphia area. Same thing. It's like, wait, is this, like, where they, is this Galatia, Galatia? Or, you know, Galatia. Northern Galatia was Galatia, Galatia. The Southern Galatian theory was, you know, Galatia. Oh, you out in Galatia, all right. Uh, and so, but he probably was talking to a broader range of churches called Galatia, which means it was several churches. And so, so he's he's writing to a whole bunch of churches. And we're going to see what the issue is, why he's writing this bunch of churches. Um, when I say the gospel is universal, it sounds like, come on, get to the meat. I mean, everything you said so far, the gospel is transforming. I know that. Look at me. I'm up in church. The gospel is authoritative. I know that. I submitted to it. The gospel is universal. Oh, man, come on. When are you going to say something deep, pastor? Like, we sleep on the beauty of the universality of the gospel. Just like we sleep on the impact of the civil rights generation. So I'm sitting here looking for something clean on undemand. I'll come up on a PG movie called uh, Glory Road. Glory Road, outside of the tight shorts that'll make you not want to watch it. <laughs> it's a story about the first time blacks were basically uh, saturating college, the college ball scene. And once again, reliving the story, I was trying to envision the days when... You couldn't even, like, expect to play ball at a college. Started thinking about our parents' parents who had to drink at a different water fountain or our parents who had to go to a different school. Like, we can't fathom that. Life is just so you and your white friend or you and your black friend just skip to your loo. You go to the same place. You're just like, woo, what's good? I mean, like, but that was at some somebody fought for that. Somebody said, yo, would you get on number six? We go to the same schools. It's like, yo, we laugh, but like there were people who died just so the reality of us to be able to have a white friend, a black friend, an Asian friend, like we, somebody had to die. I went to the Negro League Museum and I was just sitting there like that. These dudes had a, a whole nother league just because of their skin color. They weren't able to play in the regular league. I like a whole museum to some dudes that were waiting for the wall to come down. Do you know that the Gentiles back here were like they understood a wall came down, still wavering, still wavering. We're going to see how people still tried to mess with that freedom. And so he looks and he says, the Gospels, I'm writing to the churches of Galatia, primarily Gentiles. And therefore, the gospel's universality is seen just in the fact that Paul, a Hebrew of Hebrews, writes about a good news that he can say to somebody who's not a Jew. Grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is the gospel universal, the gospel is redemptively focused redemptively focused. Look what he says. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, of our God and Father. Now the beauty about this is 
We live in a day where people will say, yo, we'd be like, yo, why don't you go give him the gospel? And we'll be like, all right, bet. Yo, you don't understand. I, I was on the block just like you. And, you know what I'm saying? And, and the Lord came through and he swooped through and he, he changed me. All right, man. Praise God. Peace. Boom. You come back. I dropped the gospel on son. And he'd be like, word would you say? Now, I, I just I told him how, you know, I told him how he changed me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I always heard. You know, people don't want to hear all of that deep stuff. They just want to know that you've been changed. You know what I mean? Like, that's not the gospel. Like, and I'm not dissing. There's a place for that in walking with a, a society we're trying to reach. But you still didn't get to the gospel yet. Because the gospel is always redemptively focused. It, no matter how much we like it, it's the part even we don't like. It's the part that will make people not like you as much. It's the part God, like pop TV will edit out. If you start, if you talk about something, yeah, he changed me. They'll leave that in. Now I'm a better person. They'll leave that in. And he did it through the blood of his cross. You know what I'm saying? Like, blip. You know what I'm saying? He changed me. When I was three, and it go back to when you were three. Now, so far, once again, Paul is still using just a conventional opening. So he usually says that. But he's elaborated here, uh, and he's talked about the redemptive aspect. Grace and peace from the God who slaughtered his son the gospel is about sin the gospel is about a slaughter the gospel is about a substitute Ah. the issue on the floor here is will you become comfortable with the paradox that christ's tragedy is our triumph that his death is our good news our celebration isaiah 53 4 6 Clearly, Paul had this on his mind. Basically, he says, surely our griefs he himself bore. Once again, the reason why we say it's redemptively focused, we believe in a substitutionary death that some people don't believe in. I, a dude told me that. A dude from another religion told me. He said, yo, man, he said, that's dumb. That's dumb for somebody to die for somebody else's sins. And it is. The Bible does say it's foolishness to some and it's a stumbling block to others. Foolish to Greeks, a stumbling block to the Jews. But look what Isaiah 53 said before it even happened. He bore our griefs. Are those his griefs? No, our griefs. He says our sorrows he carried. See, no religion has the God carrying the sorrows of the people who worship them. You just come and be like, oh, oh," he like, oh, don't worry about it. I got you. Like, that's not the same as give me them burdens. Oh, oh, man, I know what you mean. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken. So when you see a a savior, a substitute carrying your griefs, other people are like, dang, he must have did something wrong. But he didn't do nothing wrong. He's got the wrong on him that he did. He says, but we looked at him and said he's smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. So every nail wasn't for his sins. It was for our sins. This is the gospel. He says uh, he was crushed for our iniquities. You did something wrong. We'll smash him. Uh, The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. All this on him. Ours on him. That's why he says, Christ, who gave himself for me? Who gave himself for me? And if you don't tell people about a switch, if you don't tell people about a death, if you don't tell them about their sin, and if you out here don't believe in your sinfulness and the fact that you deserve what he got, then you'll never embrace the gospel and you won't be saved. And we'll see what that's going to result in. First Corinthians 2, I'm just going to skip down. First Corinthians 2, 1 and 2, Paul comes in. This is the reason why I say there's a big deal that he focuses redemptively, that the gospel is redemptively focused. Because he could have said anything about Jesus, Jesus who sits high and looks low. Jesus who met me in my need. Jesus who's just the bomb. And all these things would have been true. But Paul, because the book is going to be about living life in light of something called gospel, wants you to know if it's the gospel. You got to get around to the part most people leave out, and that is the substitutionary beatdown and death. So he says, well, when I go to a place where they're skeptical of the beauty of this message, I come in and I restrict myself to it because you're not going to make me not give you the gospel. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech 
or of wisdom proclaiming you the testimony of God. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, I came in, I knew it, because y'all wanted me to start getting deep like I was doing on them cats at Mars Hill. Mars Hill, I was dropping weight. They said, yo, this dude is killing it. Why don't you come and we, we got a place where people like deep stuff. Why don't you come and drop? He said, but I came to Corinth and I started people, y'all, when I started laboring among believers in Corinth, you wanted some more deep stuff. He said, I wasn't even going to do that. I was going to focus on the redemptive aspect of Christ. There's more than the redemptive aspect to Christ, but the redemptive aspect is his focus when you call yourself dealing with the gospel. Um, 1 Corinthians 21 says the same thing, that God did it because the wisdom of the world doesn't come to know him, but we preach Christ crucified I told you, a stumbling block to the Jew, foolishness to the Gentile. We live in packed church. I mean, we live in a day where churches are packed with people who never, ever, ever get to this. And I know it. for some of them, they probably started this way. And somebody say, hey, you young, y'all a new church plant. You can do that. But you'll see when people start leaving. You'll see when people start yawning. You'll see you'll leave all of that stuff, too. Get on with that. They know that part. They know that part. You got to tell them how to pay their bills. You got to tell them how to. And all we're saying is, I, like, like, may God deal with us ever so severely if you know how to pay your bills. And then you go out on the street and somebody say, give him the gospel. And you tell them, well, he changed me. <laughs> or give him the gospel. I ain't no theologian or nothing. I just know what he, what he do for me. He could do for you. <laughs> the gospel is weighty. I remember the movie called the gospel. It's called the gospel. You would have thought they would have slipped it in real quick. Like, even with, like, the preacher who, like, on his way out, and ideally, beloved, we just want to say that Jesus died and rose, and, like, faded it in the background and rose again. Three days later, he was buried up, and then somebody else, the other dialogue, jumped in the front. Like, nah, they didn't even have it anywhere. We live in a day where the gospel, gospel music, you notice how easy it was to slip to your inspiration station? You know why? Because all you got to do is say all the other stuff that's true about Jesus. Some, and then eventually you start saying stuff that's not true about Jesus. But even if you just extract all the stuff that's true about Jesus, most of it is not redemptive. No, most of it is not bloody. Most of it is not a switch. Most of it is not your sin. And woo, you're praising him because he did something on a cross. All I'm telling you all is now open your eyes, leave this place, and keep your ear open for redemption. Keep your Redemption just means how God delivered. When God said, I redeemed you out of Egypt, I did it with a mighty hand. I did it through plagues. I did it through a, 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 a sea closing down on cat. says, yo, when I, now for people in sin, I do it through a cross. Ain't nobody going, like, if it wasn't for Mel Gibson making the passion, praise God. Because nobody was like, we got the Prince of Egypt, and they started to see, and I mean, everybody was excited to see the sea part. They were like, now, let's show you what this really pointed to, deliverance through a mighty hand, and then go over to the cross. Ding, ding. Nobody wanted to see that. Real quick, the gospel is doxologically driven. I love it when we get to finally use the seminary words. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, <clears throat> you got there with redemptively. Um, doxologically driven. The Greek word doxa means glory. Something's doxological, meaning it has to do with glory, right? Look what he says after he says that. And it's like, again, these are tweaks to his normal entry. He says, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for, uh, for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Uh, I got to come back to that. According to the will of God and Father, to whom be glory forever uh, and ever. Amen. He says the redemption or the cross was not just to save you eternally, but also to save you in the midst of your walk on earth in time. Our whole series is on living life in this earth in light of the gospel. Well, this gospel is good news because it is this power that you've been like you thought it was just you. You thought at best, you know, you just were getting a change of heart. But really, without the shed blood of Christ and this power that God infuses in the believer through the spirit who we get upon belief, like you wouldn't be delivered in this present evil age. 
So he says he did it to, re, like, to, re, to, to save you from what's going on, to save you from falling victim to what's on the videos. I'm sitting here, I'm saying, like, how? How are we going to make it? How are my kids going to make it? The gospel. Now, you cannot believe it, and then you won't be delivered from. But those who believe it, keep noticing God has a lot of ways to empower you to resist the evil of this age. Doxologically driven, the result is the glory. He, 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 he says, yo, the gospel makes you say, to him be glory forever and ever. When you understand the gospel and when you experience it, you say, to him be the glory forever and ever. Ephesians 2, 9 says, not by works. God rigged away. Now, God could have came up with a lot of ways to save us. But he purposely didn't do it through works. He said, I'm not going to let it be works so that no one will boast. I don't want people in heaven like, yo, you made it. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe it. Tell me how it happened. All right. Look, I was wilding. I had three honeys. But then God did something and I took a left. I took a right. I shook them girls off and I made it. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's how that's how he took the left and the right. I'm going to show you what I did. I went on the other side of and everybody telling stories about how they made it. Bible says, see, you won't be up there talking about how you made it. You'll be like, well, to him be glory who died for us. That's why our praise team, you'll see doxologically oriented songs geared to make you big them up. First Corinthians 1, 29, 30, write it down. Um, yeah, there it is. Um, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Listen, I know we're into flaws. We're into bigness, badness. I just got a new TV. Give me HD, Chris signal. I'm like, whoa, I really get to appreciate the bigness and the improvements of our day. I'm like, man, the helmets are shiny. I'm like, dang, that car is just so, I mean, I'm just appreciating the grandness, but at the end of the day, God likes to kill it with the old black and whites that you had to go gang, 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 gang. like like God is that type. He like he will he will skip over this. Like you use your flat screen. I'm going to use my kinky. Like you use your spear and your I'm going to use a slingshot. You use the, uh, the wisdom and works and I'm going to use the gospel. Look what he says. I like this. So that no human might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness, sanctification, redemption is that word. Therefore, as it is written, let no one, excuse me, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's just another way to say glory in the Lord. That's why Paul's going to, through Galatians, say, don't just start with the gospel. Finish with the gospel. Finish with the gospel. Finish with the gospel. A few more minutes. Stay with me. Sometimes I go to these Chinese restaurants, right? And I like the front, like, I'm, I'm good with the chopsticks. Because, I mean, people like, like, like to see people who know how to use the chopsticks. Like Stephen the Levite, Daryl, he, every time, chopsticks, front, I mean, from the, from the front to the back. Egg rolls, you know what I'm saying, dumplings, rice, string beans. He just, clack, 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 right? So now they got this new thing to help us out. They put this little gadget on it to help you. You know, you don't have to really work it. But before the gadget, y'all know the, the gadget they put on the chopsticks now at the restaurants? Well, I just experienced it. If you haven't, you will too. But I used to like front for people. Like, oh, yeah, I know how to use these. Like, and I'll start with the chopsticks. But as soon as I got the glory, like, you know how to use them things. Halfway through, I'm like, I got a fork, and I'm like sitting there like, yeah, so, and I try to play it off because I like, I'll start with just enough to get the juice for continuing with them. So when they leave, they be like, he was using the chopsticks, but really I pick up the fork as soon as I get credit. (laughs) Paul says, don't do that. Don't try to start with the gospel, get credit. Tell me somebody my name on the roll and then like stop and pick works up because you're more familiar. You're more comfortable with works. And that's exactly what we do. We're more comfortable with works. I've got to give you all these points. Look, and it's not, not going to be much longer. I'm going to I'm going to rush through this because the points made in the whole book is going to elaborate. This is intro. The book is going to Galatians is going to unfold Living in light of the stuff we're talking about, living in light of this good news, this euangelion, this proclaimed good news, right? 
which is transforming, you submit to the gospel, your life is going to be different. Your thugism is going to change. Your promiscuousness will change. Your materialism will change. Right? Your unis, your individualism will change. Says, Yo, but not only will, uh, it will, is it transforming, it's authoritative. You're going to have to stand flat-footed and preach it. In season, preach it out of season because it's authoritative. Right? Well, as we keep going, he says, yo, not only that, um, it's redemptively focused. It's universal, meaning you can tell anybody. And I, I like the universal part because I use this whole universality of the gospel to defend my right to remain, have hip-hop traces remain without you thinking I'm going to be anything other than a first-rate Christian. So you look, because you're going to see as time goes on, the Jews were saying, Gentiles, all right, I mean, all good. All right, God gave you a shot. But for you to really, really, you got to, like, be more Jewish in your culture. Be more Jewish in your law keeping. He said, no, 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 let the Gentiles chill. And so, same thing, I'm like, yo, wait, wait, let my do-rag chill. Now, I may think it's wiser, which I don't like, like, okay, I'm preaching this Sunday and we want like an intergenerational love going. So I may go easy, you know what I'm saying, when I'm up in the pulpit, but then I go home and the the T's get longer. But God doesn't really care. They go, he's universal. It's redemptively focused. We're going to preach the cross. We're going to take communion. Our body was given, blood was shed. It's always going to be that. Doxologically driven, God driven. God's going to get glory. This is what he says. And now he gets to the meat. <laughs> look, 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 look. He gets to the meat. The gospel is God. The gospel is God. John Piper has a book, The Gospel is God, because he gets in on this point. Look what he says. I am astonished that you are so quickly, verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Wait a minute. I just didn't like the message. I ain't turn away from you, God. I just didn't like that message he gave me. He says, no, if you turn away from the gospel, you turn away from God. He says, I'm astonished. He says, I'm appalled. No pun intended. He says, how could you? Why would you? And he says, I'm amazed. That it was so quick. He go, he's, you're going to tell that. Talking to my kids about the real possibility of the day we have to send. Not, not the real possibility. The, the day when we have to send them into not so christian circles. Up until now, Christian friends, Christian aunts, Christian uncles. You know what I'm saying? Christian church, home school, all the protective stuff. And they killing, they blowing us away with their theology. Oh, that's dope. What would happen if I send them to school and they come back? Yo, you know what? I sort of think that Muhammad is God. Well, not Muhammad, my fault. Allah. Yeah, yeah, Allah. That's what they told me. Yeah, I think Allah's God. Muhammad is like, you know what I mean, the next in line. And not, I mean, like, and suppose that was day three. I'd be like, but Jeremiah, like, how could you so quickly just throw away? And you know what? I'm getting ready to, you know what I'm saying, wear this and not eat that so that I can increase my chances of getting his eternal life. Why would you leave grace for that? And why would you leave Jesus for him? He's in the grave. Why would you? He says the same thing to his kids in the faith. He says, wait a minute. And the whole tenor of his his argument is one of frustration. I'm astonished that you're doing this. He's about to flip. He's going to start telling. I, and anybody that has a different uh, gospel can go to hell. And, 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 and Peter, I got gangster with Peter. One time Peter was tripping. Like Paul is upset. In normal epistles, he has a, they had a thanksgiving. He'd be like, pray grace and peace to God. And I thank God for you. He doesn't even have a thank you portion in his epistle to let you know that he's frustrated with you tampering with the gospel because the gospel is God. For you to leave the gospel is leaving the God who called you by the grace of Christ. Does anything get you like that? We live in this age of, like, we we think it's godly to to be tolerant. But sooner or later, something's got to make you get upset. And it shouldn't just be, he called me a name. He talked about my mother. I remember when people talked about my mother, like, but it didn't enrage me. Like, but I, I, I quickly got the point, like. 
You're supposed to be mad when somebody talks about your mother. Okay. Somebody say, yeah, mother. I said, come on. Fake it. Don't you ever talk about my mother. I just wanted to be in. I remember one time my pops thought somebody threatened me on the street. Now, my pops, everybody, like, anybody know my pops? After Paul is Branch. I'm saying it's the Trinity, you know what I mean? Paul's somewhere, the godly saints and the apostles, and then Branch is somewhere after the apostolic uh, order. One day, this, and it's probably the only time I've heard him, like, no, 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 ain't the only time. The, this one time that he said, he said, he said what to you? I said, no, nah, I, I don't think he was talking to me. He's, he said, he said, I'll put my fist in his chest. I'll put him through that glass. You hear me, son? I said, he, I said, are you, he said, are you sure he wasn't talking to you? I said, no, nah, I don't think he was talking to me. I think he was talking to me. But for the first time, I heard my pop say, my love for you and my responsibility to protect you will bring a side out of me that you would think, where did that come from? Isn't you're a pastor? I'll put my fist through his chest, like I said. <laughs> Jesus comes in and says, oh, my God, the way you're treating the temple? Give me them cords. Wrap the cords up. She throwing tables. <laughs> Stay out. And the question is, do you get like that about the things of God, especially the gospel? Go to these churches and you just like everything. And then you say, well, I mean, everybody's got their calling, everybody, but you, you know they're not preaching the gospel or living consistently with it. They attach it to the end, and now, you know, they bring their fan back, and it's like, yo, come if you want. Like, but it's not the gospel, or they're not living with it. Paul says, yo, the gospel is God. When you leave him, when you leave it, you leave him. He says, he's the one who called you. By his grace, 1 Samuel 8, when Samuel's sons weren't fit to lead, Israel said, nah, forget sons. Just give us a king like the nations. God says, it's not you, Samuel, they're rejecting, but me. No, nah, we rejected Samuel's sons. No, 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 no. When you rejected my, my plot, my, the way I get it done, you're rejecting me. Don't think you're just rejecting Deuce's message, Paul's message, Pastor E's message. No. It's God. The gospel is God. Well, would you say he's going to be there, pearly gates? Like, the gospel is not, like, trust Christ and get pearly gates. Streets of gold. The gospel is trust Christ, and the gap between you and God will be closed, and you will walk and have fellowship with God. When God is not your delight, you'll wait around. I'm just not ready to get saved. That's because you're not, you, you, you don't, you don't, you're not ready to walk with the king. Right now, the Sixers got to come up with all kinds of promotionals to get you in there. Kevin Garnett going to be here. You'd be like, oh, he going to be there? All right, well, give me a ticket. I thought just the Sixers were going to be there. <laughs> Every believer starts, I just don't want to go to hell. Oh, Jesus, I'll take Jesus. Uh, heaven? Yeah, that's fine with me, as long as it ain't hell. But as you walk with him and you appreciate his grace... Oh, my goodness, time. Mm -mm, mm -mm. You ain't going to make me fall for that. The gospel is God. Why are you turning from the one who called you? By his grace, the gospel is grace. I'll, I'll end with this. He called us by the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, <laughs> but there are some who want to distort the gospel of Christ. The gospel is grace. As we go through this series, you're going to hear Paul having to wrestle 
the Galatians down to admit the gospel is free. And the moment you start adding stuff to it, it's no longer the gospel. Do you speak in tongues? Well, then you may not be saved. Wait, so that means... Like, so you're saying I have to speak in tongues to be saved. I'm just telling you it says these are the things that will follow. Um, well, hey, well, have you been baptized? Okay, well, you're not fully. Wait, well, do you go to church? Do you go to church? Well, then you ain't saved. Wait, are you still sleeping around? Well, then you're not saved. See, the trick about grace is it can be abused. Like if, it, if you, it, like, if you're not able to abuse it, it's not grace. No, God made it so that you can't do that. Well, then it's not grace because now I'm, once again, I got saved. And then the thing that's really got me saved, though, is the fact that after I got saved, I did some stuff. Pull my pants up, I cut my hair, I took my earring off, they shaved some of the tattoos so it's a little lighter. And the Bible says, by grace are you saved through faith. Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly. Now, again, the the book is going to unpack what this is. He's going to deal with everything from you ought to be circumcised, which Jewish Christians who liked the supremacy of the Judaism they were called out of, Sort of, sort of wanted the Gentiles to have a little more like Jewishness show up in their Christianity. And they were adding stuff to the gospel that basically Paul is going to debunk. So let's just recap the gospel. Good news. It's like the lepers who knew if somebody would just tell me there's food, I'm out. And if somebody would let me have it, I'm going to jump on it. I got it, but I shouldn't keep it to myself. This is good news. Let me tell somebody the gospel. The gospel in the book of Galatians is revealed to be transforming. It'll take a Jew and make him say, "Ah, I'm not going to use that as my badge of honor. I know Christ and him crucified. They'll take a thug and make them say, I'm not thugging anymore. Not only that, it's authoritative. It was given by men who had the authority of Jesus Christ to lay down, called the apostles. It's to be obeyed. You can't just say, nah, that's okay, and think you're going to be okay. You must obey the gospel. It's universal. Jews, Gentiles... Whites, blacks, clean cut, fresh off the street. Everyone has access to the gospel. The gospel is redemptive. It's all about the cross and God substituting a sacrifice for sin, putting Christ in the place of the sinner and in dealing with him as though Christ had actually sinned. It's doxological. If you really understand it and you walk in it and experience it, you'll give him the glory and you won't talk about how you contributed to it. It's God. It's so his concoction that to reject his way is to reject him. It's grace. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you can muster up. It's something that must be freely given. Preach that. Learn it. Get the big words down and share the big words and unpack them. Stand on it. If you don't know Jesus, receive it. Receive the good news that God could smash you because like them, we could die. They could say no. But the Lord is gracious. And that means he looks at anyone who will put trust in the son and he offers you forgiveness of sins because he he died for our sins. And that will give you life. <laughs> that will produce praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news that you save people who don't.